SeaWorld, that once popular marine life theme park where everyone loved the orcas. They did tricks, they waved, and they really seemed to enjoy themselves. Until they understandably snapped out of a few years of mistreatment and someone got injured or died in the process. These orca attacks have been going on for far longer than you realize, and SeaWorld has been at the center of it. The documentary that swept the world changed how they presented their orcas, and we thought that it was over, but it's not because they're back. Every evening at sunset, something magical happens at SeaWorld. Things you can't see all day long suddenly appear in the dark. And while some people come for the nightlife, others come just to sit and gaze at the big and the little dipper. It's not another park, it's another world. Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Corporate Casket. I'm the Illuminati. And you know, the world we live in is incredibly amazing. It's filled with a number of creatures that live on land, in the sky, and in the sea. We as humans are honored with the opportunity to observe and learn from this living ecosystem. One way we do this is by simply going outside and looking around. Another way that many of us have appreciated the planet's animals and creatures is through zoos, aquariums, preserves, and other places. Some places are nice, but not all of them. Today, we're talking about SeaWorld and all the insane things they did to ocean creatures, including the highly publicized Blackfish documentary. The American-based animal theme park first opened on March 21st, 1964. It was originally supposed to be an underwater restaurant and marine life show, but at the time, that wasn't exactly possible. SeaWorld primarily focuses on, well, sea creatures, of course. You've all seen the commercials, advertisements promising to immerse you in the moment, combining the essence of fun with the oneness a person experiences when by the sea. To some degree, it's kind of comical that they're trying to convince you that real animal behavior consists of allowing people to balance on the tip of the nose of an orca or people getting close enough to slap a wet kiss on a dolphin. The marine exhibits with the addition of roller coasters, performances, and more entices a number of families looking for memorable experiences. The atmosphere is labeled as high energy and authentic, colorful, and vibrant. It may be high energy and vibrant, but something SeaWorld has not been is authentic. As a heads up, this episode in its entirety is going to be filled with disclaimers, those of animal abuse, animal violence, killing, and other atrocities. There will be smaller warnings before we get into every subject, but just if you aren't in the right headspace to hear about any of those events, just feel free to skip the episode in its entirety because it isn't pretty. Now, before we do get into the laundry list of wrongdoings of SeaWorld, I do want to acknowledge some of the good SeaWorld has done. Don't mistake this for a pardon or any level of leniency. The scales do not favor this company, like, at all. If anything, I want these positive contributions seen in order to highlight how horrible the theme parks and their affiliates are. In terms of animals, this would be like running a dog rescue, but owning a number of racing greyhounds, which we've talked about in a previous episode as well. The animal racing industry can be just as vicious as dog fighting. And just, you know, to paint that image in your head for a moment, just, ugh. According to SeaWorld Entertainment's conservation reports, the SeaWorld and Bush Gardens Conservation Fund nonprofit has given over $17 million in support of over 1200 research and conservation projects across the globe from animal conservation, habitat protection, and more. 
The city of San Diego also awarded the company the 2016 Outstanding Achievement Award for Recycling, particularly noting the efforts regarding unused fish, stainless steel, wood, and snow and water. Now you may look at those things and go, aw, well, maybe they aren't so bad after all. But you know what? It kind of pisses me off a little more than anything else. This tells me that these companies understand right and wrong from an animal's ethics perspective. SeaWorld at least interacts with people and organizations that care about the quality and sanctity of marine life on a regular basis. That means the stuff that they did was done with intent, at least in my opinion. Perhaps there was a side of SeaWorld that truly cared about the creatures they looked after and researched, but they were obviously overshadowed and outnumbered by the corporate dollars. Profits over porpoises, I suppose. Now, before we get into the orcas who encompass a main part of SeaWorld's controversy, you should know that they weren't the only creatures suffering through exploitation. Killer whales equal killer stock performance. Well, shares of SeaWorld Entertainment revenue course, one word for you, penguins. And joining me now, Jim Atchison, president and CEO of SeaWorld Parks and Entertainment. I wanna talk about penguins because they're just so darn cute, but we're gonna start with your earnings There are many of these, if we're being honest, like kidnappings that the amusement park has engaged in over its lifespan. Many of these creatures have dealt with literally heartbreaking traumatic events. Take the baby emperor penguins from 2011. These dependent baby penguins were stripped from their families and shipped to New Zealand before making their way to SeaWorld, California. Now, you know, it's 2011. Chances are they flew these animals both to New Zealand, then California. A basic look at flight schedules show that the trip would amount to 22 hours of flying. So they were confined to a plane where let's be real, they'd be in boxes, presumably to avoid injury for nearly a full day. According to the New Zealand Herald, SeaWorld announced that they would become part of the Penguin Encounter exhibit, as well as research regarding lung and air sac volumes in emperor penguins. The research would be done independently by the Scripps Institute of Oceanography in San Diego. And all of this was done despite the fact that SeaWorld has been breeding emperor penguins for a while now, and they could use their own penguins to compare breathing qualities. When communications director David Kuntz was questioned about this detail, the reason SeaWorld collected these penguins was because they said their own penguins were too old to undergo anesthesia, which is something that was guaranteed to happen. So not only were these little wild penguins going to get ripped from their homes, never get to swim in the ocean and never see their families again, which are you know the community ties there, but they would be put under unnecessarily in order to study their breathing patterns, something they could have done with their own homegrown penguins. But, Of course, you know, they're all about conservation and respecting nature. We don't completely shit on the mission statement and unnecessarily endanger animals and people. We'll just wreck a few families and play operation with some birds. No one will care. At least that's, I think, what they think. But let's put some context into how insanely twisted this actually was. There are some conflicting reports on this, but the most consistent age of dependency for emperor penguins is five months before they are considered self-sufficient. Before then, they spend the first two months of their life closely knitted to their parents, their doting parents, no less. The two months after that, they're away from their parents, but still dependent and clustered together with others their age and a babysitter watching them. If they make it to five months, they're on their own, able to swim the Antarctic Sea and travel great distances. So what's the kicker? Well, once they've gone on a multiple year journey, many of them actually return to the very colony they were born to. These birds display a tight-knit community with caring parents. So when you just up and rip away a number of kids from their home, there's going to be some trauma. And we actually know that these birds are going to get paraded around in exhibits and put under for no medically necessary reason. I'm grateful at least that there was some recognition of how fucked up this was when the story broke, but it just wasn't enough friction to actually stop it. But things get better or rather worse 
because in 2017, after all the crap goes down with the Blackfish documentary, which we will kind of recap it a little bit, I promise, there were two polar bears, Snowflake and Zenja. They'd been buddies at SeaWorld for about 20 years and they shared an exhibit. In February of that year, they decided to move Snowflake from San Diego to Pittsburgh. Zenja became listless and unresponsive and refused to eat. And in early April of that year, she died. Now, the official LA Times report said that SeaWorld had no idea how Senja's condition declined so quickly. And I'm just gonna be honest, I don't think it takes a fucking rocket scientist to read the room there. She was born into captivity, then sent to San Diego, where she spent 20 years of her life forming a bond with a bear she grew up with. She didn't have a mom. She didn't have a normal polar bear upbringing. She had a friend. And after spending a lifetime with that friend, Snowflake was inexplicably, to her, taken away. She either died from stress or a drastic environmental change or from a broken heart. And that's something that happens to domesticated animals. And you have to understand, SeaWorld is full of domesticated wild creatures that are better off born and raised in the wilderness, obviously. These animals that likely won't survive if released into their natural habitat because of how we as humans raise them. Maybe SeaWorld and the partner organizations really do care about wild polar bears. Maybe all this effort is to improve the lives of creatures around the world but it would be really fucking nice if they showed some respect or decorum for the creatures involuntarily under their care. These are supposed to be examples of how we treat animals in the world, and SeaWorld shows a visible line of devastation. Nanook, a beluga whale, was another example of SeaWorld's negligence. According to a 2015 article from the Orlando Sentinel, park veterinarians were treating Nanook for an infection from a jaw injury occurred during an interaction between two animals that were part of a compatible social group, SeaWorld said. Translation here, Nanook got into a fight with another beluga, got his jaw broken, and they couldn't clean the infection fast enough before he died. Despite being part of a compatible social group, belugas aren't supposed to be that close to each other. Naomi Rose, a longtime SeaWorld critic and Animal Welfare Institute marine mammal scientist, asserted that the likely cause of death for Nanook was captivity, since his species isn't known for having jaw injuries in the wild. There are claims that animals live just as long in captivity as they do in the wild, but the statistics behind that are convoluted no matter what end you look at. The problem is the fact that SeaWorld exploits these creatures for profit. And this is also why their positive contributions piss me off so much. It's not like this organization is ignorant of their role in marine conservation. If they were, I'd just walk up here and say, hey, uh, it's Blair, and these people have no idea what they're doing with animals and they're really dumb. Someone please ban them, okay, bye but that's not the case. The fact that they go out defending marine life while robbing homes and treating the animals in their parks the way they do paints a morally duplicit picture that's narcissistic and apathetic. There is probably a lot more evidence that we haven't uncovered regarding SeaWorld's animal treatment, but if their history with orcas is any indication, then they've probably abused them too. So let's look back at the orcas and how SeaWorld actually fell. Just to note that this upcoming section will have multiple disturbing descriptions of animal abuse and animals attacking people. If you do not wish to see or hear, now would be the time to go. It didn't just happen. It's not a singular event. You have to go back to understand this. The speedboat herded them in and they could just pick out the young ones. This is the worst thing that I've ever done. Now, before we get into the documentary details, there's plenty of history surrounding attacks by killer whales or orcas. According to Toledo Blade, Annette Eckes was the secretary at SeaWorld at 1970. She was asked to ride Shamu, one of the first orcas ever brought into the exhibit. Now, this wasn't a performer, and this also was not a scientist. 
SeaWorld actually asked a civilian to risk her life and perform with a 17-foot creature. She wasn't even wearing a wetsuit, according to the report. They had this poor woman on a whale in a bikini, and you can add exploiting her to the list of their early misdeeds. As you would expect, because I'm discussing it, the interaction did not go well. She slipped off Shamu's back and she immediately attacked her. The trainers viewed the whale as being playful, not biting down hard. They had to put a pole in the whale's mouth to keep Miss Eckes from dying. And I really don't care if it was five years into the theme park, but like, this is not okay. The whole, oops, we didn't know any better means nothing when their early actions nearly resulted in someone being drowned. This would be the first time SeaWorld had an injury caused by orca activity, but it wasn't some outlier either. There were plenty of incidents that should have raised red flags to SeaWorld. In 1978, Greg Williams was bitten by Winston the orca. In 1984, trainer Joanne Hay was grabbed by a killer whale named Candu V and forced against a wall. She was only let go when Candu's blowhole was blocked. In 1987, Candu V struck again with another whale named Keanu. That year, it was a trainer named Jonathan Smith who was repeatedly dragged underwater by both whales. Keanu slammed into the young man after he surfaced the first time. He had lacerations in his kidney and cuts all over, and somehow he lived through it. Also in 1987, John Sillick was jumped on by a five-ton whale named Orky. He got away with significant injuries. Something that I find really disturbing is the report that he waved to the crowd and tried to pretend like nothing was wrong. So many times the focus is put on the abuse to the animals that the people are also forgotten in this equation. These are people who do not stand a chance against a killer whale in the water. And quite frankly, no one should be in the water with a predator capable of killing them. That's just trouble waiting to happen. Also in 1987, there were a number of reported attacks done by unidentified orcas in San Diego, bites, bumps, injuries, getting dragged into the water. Literally every year between 2002 and 2010, with very few exceptions, had some incident regarding an attack from the whales and all of the attacks were life-threatening. The warning signs and the red flags were very clearly there. And keep in mind, all of the attacks I reported on were done in SeaWorld. Many of these occurred prior to Tilikum arriving at SeaWorld. And if this indicates anything, it's the fact that Blackfish would have come with or without these particularly infamous attacks. Kandu V's actions from 1984 to 1990 indicate that we could have talked about this whale instead of Tilikum. The more information we show, the more obvious it becomes that it isn't about the whales, but it's about the facility housing them. When you look into their eyes, you know somebody is home. They're an animal that possesses great spiritual power not to be meddled with. We need SO to respond for a dead person at SeaWorld. A whale has eaten one of the trainers. Tilikum, though, is the one that went after her. Blackfish, if you are not aware, is an award-winning film that depicts a horrific reality SeaWorld hid from its fans. The first thing that jumped out to me was the fact that there was no marine biology training required. If you could perform and swim well, you got the job. One of the trainers didn't even know how to put on a wetsuit correctly. And that's not an indictment on the trainer. It's more of a concern that training requirements weren't as strenuous. Many of the trainers interviewed for the documentary seem to understand just how immense their encounters were. They are reverent and appreciative of the creatures in SeaWorld as they should be. And I want to stress that this is not in any way vitriol towards the trainers in the film. In 1994, then 25-year-old Don Branchot started her career as a trainer. 
With a degree in psychology and animal behavior, she was more than moderately qualified by SeaWorld standards. She began working with orcas in 1996 and quickly became a model trainer for the show, the human face of SeaWorld. She was in fantastic shape, running marathons, cycled, lifted weights, and of course, swam. I bring up her personal attributes to stress something the former trainers said in the film. If this horrific tragedy could happen to Dawn, this could happen to anyone. Let's rewind to 1983. A two-year-old whale named Tillicum was kidnapped from his family in Iceland. In a typical whale hunt in that time period, the people who took orcas used literal bombs to herd them. The most gut-wrenching part of the depiction is listening to the baby whale crying for his family and the whales calling for their little ones. It's a really heartbreaking detail that just isn't talked about enough from the film. The way the whales were hunted was recognized by the pod. They actively separated the adults with no children from the mothers to throw off the hunters. And let's think about that for a moment. Whales are intelligent creatures filled with empathy and community. Losing a baby hurts them just as much as it would hurt us. There is no, they're just animals in this. And this was a learned pattern. Of course, these tactics are trained from avoiding predators that pick off the young, but these apex predators immediately recognized humans as a source of danger. Tillicum was in Sealand, located in British Columbia shortly after his capture. Immediately, the head trainer in that theme park utilized cruel methods that scarred the then baby orca. He paired him with a larger experienced orca to learn the ropes. When Tillicum didn't do as the trainer said, he was doubly punished. First, he would be denied food or whatever the trainer saw fit. Then the older orca, angered by being punished, would rake its teeth all over Tillicum's body. And remember, these are apex predators and their teeth are sharp enough to rip at prey. So of course, it did damage. After this, I'm not gonna call this training because it was abuse. Tillicum was abused more by spending the night trapped in a 20 foot by 30 foot metal enclosure. That's the equivalent of taking an adult human and shoving them in their closet filled with their clothes, closing the door and shutting off the lights. Now imagine more than half your life is spent living like that. Maybe being cut all over on a regular basis would be something that makes you just a little angry. Maybe being shoved in a box for most of your life would, you know, make you just a little bit unhinged. This whale lived that experience for a number of years. Even if they stopped the raking horrors, Tillicum was forced to spend 12 to 14 hours in a box as well as getting attacked by the female orca. Sealand had this orca for eight years of suffering before they shipped it to SeaWorld for more trauma. It was that time when Tillicum finally lashed out. February 20, 1991. Kelty Byrne, a marine biology student and competitive swimmer, was working as a part-time trainer in the enclosure holding Tillicum and two other orcas, Haiti 2 and Nootka 4. Kelty was walking away after a performance when she slipped and her boot slipped into the pool. She was working on getting out of the pool, but before she did, Tillicum raced over, grabbed her and dragged her back in. It was a moment before onlookers realized how serious the situation was. The orcas were increasingly agitated and panic struck Kelty. They held her underwater on numerous occasions for long periods of time up to a minute. Eyewitness talk about how Kelty begged for help. Rescuers tried to use nets and other measures in order to separate Kelty from the massive predators. She was a swimmer looking to compete for a national championship, but she stood no chance against these killer whales. Hours after the incident happened, they managed to recover her dead body. Marine biologists looked at the incident and painted a much different picture of wild orcas than Tillicum's upbringing. These are intelligent, friendly, empathetic creatures with different languages, communities, and unique mannerisms. To this day, there had been no evidence of wild orca attacks ever. These attacks are unique to theme parks and a direct product of their surroundings. 
Shortly after Kelty's horrific and unnecessary demise, Sea Land decided to close its doors and Sea World eagerly scooped up Tilikum, Haida, and Nootka. In the film, the trainers question SeaWorld and Sea Lab's logic of bringing in literally killing whales to a larger theme park. At the very least, Sealand officials indicated that they hoped for Tilikum to have better conditions and thus improved behavior. But what happened in SeaWorld? They had Kandu, they had Keanu, and they had the original Shamu, all records of attacks long before Tilikum entered the picture. This company was not ignorant, they were negligent. This shows that they really didn't care about these damaged whales. Tilikum was a six to seven ton example of a life of abuse, and he was expected to come in and sire a bunch of orcas. They willingly ignored his cries for help and the people he hurt or killed. There were some who thought that maybe Tilikum was brought in solely for breeding with females. He wasn't supposed to perform. How wrong they were. Over the next number of years, SeaWorld revealed that their morals were for sale. Unfortunately, they were offering clearance discounts. And before we go into the specific details of what happened when Tilikum and the other orcas entered SeaWorld, this is where I'm gonna go ahead and put a sponsor break right here because it's, it's gonna get worse from here. So this is your last couple minutes to think about it if you're gonna stick around through this or if this is where you're gonna bow out. But with that being said, here are the sponsors. When the summer is upon us, it means it is time for dolphin legs. And dolphin legs means smooth legs. And do you know what is not smooth legs? Legs that are all cut up from bad razors. That's why I use Athena Club razors. They're surrounded by a water activated serum with shea butter and hyaluronic acid. So you get a silky smooth shave that actually leaves skin soft and hydrated, not stripped dry. And the blades are spaced out to let hair and shave cream pass through easily. So you don't have to take a ton of passes over your skin to remove hair. Fewer passes means less irritation to your skin, cutting down on razor burn and ingrown hairs, which is obviously something nobody wants. The razor kit is only $9 with free shipping and it comes with two blade cartridges, a magnetic hook for shower storage and your choice of handle color. As you guys know, I have previously had the peach color, which I lost and I'll never let it go. I've had the sky blue color, which I love. And then I have the lavender color, which was a limited edition color. And I have that one in my travel bag. And I've definitely seen some comments where people are like, what does the magnetic hook for shower storage actually mean? Well, let me tell you, it's this cute little hook. It's very sleek, by the way, and low profile. And it's got a little 3M sticky on the back and you essentially peel off the sticky, stick it to the wall and it's magnetized. And so the razor just, you know, just magnetizes itself onto that. And it's very low profile, very cute, very aesthetic. Why deal with terrible razor burns when you could be getting the best shave of your life with the Athena Club Razor Kit? Get 20% off your first order at athenaclub.com with promo code casket. That's athenaclub.com with promo code casket for 20% off. This episode is also sponsored by ExpressVPN because the reality is as many of us have probably browsed at some point or another in incognito mode. And the reality is it's probably not as incognito as you think. And the reality is of course, again, why would it be? Chances are the browser you're using has actually made a fortune by tracking your movements online. So how do you actually make yourself as invisible as possible online? Well, you can start by using ExpressVPN, like I do. It turns out again that even in incognito mode, your online activity is still getting tracked and data brokers still get to buy and sell your data. 
And when you're researching a whole host of topics, like God forbid, when I had to look up information about the Duggars and stuff, like I do not want that being tracked by my ISP. One, because I don't like 19 Kids and Counting or any of those TLC type shows or whatever. But number two, the Josh Duggar stuff was horrific. The court document stuff that came out, disgusting. So like, yeah, I don't want that tracked. So every time you connect to ExpressVPN, you'll get a random IP address shared by many other ExpressVPN customers. This is going to make it harder for third parties to identify you and harvest your data. And best of all, ExpressVPN is super easy to use. No matter what device you're on, your phone, laptop, or even your smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button for instant protection. So if you really do want to go incognito and protect your privacy, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN. Make sure you visit expressvpn.com casket and get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com casket. Go to expressvpn.com casket to learn more. Tilikum came into SeaWorld and was immediately attacked by the female orcas. If you don't know, orca society is matriarchal and the females typically push the male orcas to the edge of their pods area. The problem here is that the enclosure holding these killer whales was actually not big enough to facilitate that needed spacing. So this dangerous mammal was subjected to attacks again. Despite all of this, Tilikum seemed to be a well-mannered resident at first, according to some former trainers. There is an incident where one of them describes a colleague getting yelled at to get away from Tilikum and documents shown in court records do illustrate knowledge that there was a risk of attack. In 1999, this disturbed creature struck again. On July 5th, Daniel P. Duke snuck into SeaWorld Orlando. He was later found dead that day on top of Tilikum's back. The staff at SeaWorld claimed that he died of drowning and hypothermia. According to them, this one man managed to evade not only the night trainers on staff, but the entire litany of cameras that survey the park. There is apparently no video footage whatsoever of Daniel Dukes inside the park, which is extremely suspicious. There should have been a record of what happened. And if there is, I question what happened to it. Now, video surveillance or not, what is clear is that Tilikum attacked this individual. There were reported bites all over this man and the orca bit his genitals clean off. There is dispute over whether Tilikum actually killed Mr. Dukes, but there's no question that the man was brutalized. SeaWorld placed all of the blame on Mr. Dukes putting himself in a dangerous situation. I can't dismiss the fact that he did endanger himself. Much like the SeaWorld staff, he didn't really have any business interacting with the orcas without marine biology expertise. But if the orcas weren't, you know, literal PTSD victims, chances were actually probably far less that they would have lashed out. But this was the second time Tilikum was involved with massive injuries. Whether or not Dukes was actually killed by the orca is almost irrelevant in this case. There should have been plenty of signs that said, hey, there's something really wrong with this creature. We should put a lot more effort into fixing this problem before it costs another life. But that's not what they did. Between the 1999 death and John Brancho, there were numerous attacks. Orchid, Splash, Katsaka, who mothered a number of Tilikum's children, all attacked with intention at one point or another. Kido, a SeaWorld orca located at Laurel Parquet in Spain, killed a trainer on Christmas Eve of 2009 with blunt force. All of this leads up to 2010, when Tilikum dragged Dawn by her hair into the water. A dine with Shamu turned into a live horror film as patrons watched a woman, a senior trainer, helplessly plunge to her death. The autopsy report said that Brancho died from drowning and blunt force trauma. Her spinal cord was severed. Her jawbone, ribs, and a cervical vertebrae were all fractured. Her scalp was completely torn off her head and both her left knee and elbow were dislocated. A packed stadium watched this event. And I feel for all of them, as well as Dawn's family. 
Decades of preventable neglect, dysfunction, and greed were the cause of her death. And those human qualities were funneled through a system of orcas who were helpless to their circumstances. As SeaWorld met OSHA in court, shareholders blamed Dawn for her own death. And I'm not kidding. In 2014, Stephen Schwartzman, CEO of the Blackstone Group, told CNBC that Brancho violated several safety rules before she was pulled into a killer whale's tank and drowned. Before her death, Dawn was one of the lead trainers and lauded for her focus on safety procedures. To blame her for her own death in any fashion is despicable. They made sure to push the idea that it's not SeaWorld's fault, even though they have nearly half a century of evidence supporting the abuse records of their creatures. They also obviously tried to demonize Tilikum, which was kind of an easy thing to do, unfortunately. The poor Oka had a violent history to back it up. It's not like it could chirp itself a defense statement. All SeaWorld had to do is conceal their dirty history of mistreating animals, easy peasy. Even after this, Tilikum would continue to be used for breeding and occasionally showing up to wave to the crowd because who wouldn't want to juxtapose his vicious kills with a koi wave, right? Tilikum died in 2017 due to bacterial pneumonia in his lungs. He spent his final several years isolated from the other orcas and people for most of the day before making his little appearance. He was plucked from his family as a baby, abused, isolated, sensory deprived, only to be called a murderer, abused, deprived again, and stuck for the rest of his days in isolation. He lived an extremely shitty life, and it's heartbreaking to look back at the destructive decades and the hundreds of opportunities people missed to make his life beautiful, something to be celebrated. As horrid as it was to watch, Blackfish shed some much needed light on something this theme park continually swept under the rug. SeaWorld suffered a long awaited financial decline. In 2015, SeaWorld San Diego reported significant drops in revenue and net income. They pledged to end the orca shows and increase the size of the enclosures in 2016. And they claim it was not because of the Blackfish documentary. So mission accomplished. These corporate monsters are destroyed and the orcas finally got to live a healthy life. Well. That's not exactly what happened either. SeaWorld somehow managed to continue being assholes even after the public eviscerated them. In light of some of the speculation we've seen in the press coverage over the past two days, it's important that I again stress that we provide the highest standard of care and no animal is ever subject to punishment. In In 2014, as this company's public image was circling the drain, former CEO James Acheson both downplayed Blackfish's impact and sold off stocks of SeaWorld. Atchison avoided $730,860 of losses, the SEC said, by selling stock in SeaWorld in the first quarter of 2014. He quit as CEO in 2015. Other officials were involved in this, but to summarize, they lied to their investors about how much financial damage the theme park took and sold stocks in order to make it look like they were more valuable than they were. This little quirky fib cost Atchison $5 million and his job as CEO. SeaWorld got hit even harder in 2020, settling for $65 million for the years of deceit and dishonesty, downplaying what was obviously a horrible situation to the investors. Not only did SeaWorld treat their creatures like shit, underprepare the trainers and deflect horrific events, but they also flat out lied to investors and people keeping them afloat after their ship should have sunk. Oh, and little fun fact here. Do you wanna know what the worst part of all of this is after everything we've discussed? They're actually back to doing shows again. Now it's called Orca Encounters. The trainers are no longer in the water with the orcas, but they're still performing with the charming backdrop of a natural looking setting. So don't be fooled, they're still making them perform. They're still doing the whole dining with orcas thing too. They're still exploiting these creatures for their own gains. At one point, SeaWorld promised to make the tanks bigger for the orcas in 2015. And they actually took it back. 
So as far as I can see, we're back at square one, only this time there's no benefit of doubt. So with this new Orca exhibit, I suppose this is a attempt of a soft reopening. They're claiming to be more educational about their presentation instead of just making money. And I just personally don't believe that for a second. SeaWorld, it just looks like they're trying to dig themselves out of a corporate casket that they have spent decades rolling around in. Unless they've truly changed their ways and become a company focused on enriching marine life, they can fucking stay there. But with all of that being said, that's just my opinions, my thoughts, and the end of today's episode. So if you did learn something new from today's episode, make sure that you are liking, following, and subscribing to stay up to date on all the latest episodes. I appreciate you spending your time here with me today. I know you could be doing a ton of other things and yet you chose to be here. So I appreciate you for that. But thank you again, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.